1: The more you master loving biblically, the less you're going to get in return because the more you serve God the way you're supposed to, there's no way anyone can repay you the way you're giving.
2: join us now for Grace to the Bay as we glorify the Lord Jesus Christ through sound expository teaching by our teacher, Dr. Roger Chen. Grace to the Bay is the radio outreach of Grace Church of the Bay Area located in San Mateo. If you are blessed by Dr. Chen's message and are looking for a church home, you're invited to come worship with them. Now, here is Dr. Chen.
1: But the principle is a heart issue here. And so it isn't, let no one seek his own good, but that of, here's these five people. It is an underlying heart issue, an attitude that we must have, pray for, and develop in our own lives, and then that will naturally play out into those we have the most influence with and on. This perspective should drive the entirety of our lives and everything that we do. And again, I'm using a very broad term. What do you mean everything? Everything. It should drive everything you do. Not just when other Christians are around, not just at church, not just when you're around the person you've been training the gospel with. Everything and everyone. You, you take this principle of focusing so much on God's glory and other people, it should affect your sleep habits. It should affect your diet. Well, I'm healthy, don't care. Are you sluggish? Change your, ha- change your eating habits and sleep patterns so you can focus more on other people. How you dress, where you go, how you spend your money. Seeking that promotion so that you can have more money to help more people. Whatever it may be, it's going to be different for different people. Focusing on others. It should drive everything. Who is our neighbor? Everyone everyone you come in contact with. This, of course, would include believers, both those who are mature and those with weak consciences, as we have talked much about in First Corinthians, and Paul will get to again in a few verses. But this also includes unbelievers, as we will also see in his practical example next week. Everyone. It is for those people that we should seek good, that is, their good. And again, good must be defined by the objective standard of good that does not change over time, has not changed from culture to culture, is the same right now in 2021, regardless of what culture you go into in the United States, regardless of what nation you go to in the world. Because it is good as defined by God. Not by politicians, not by governments, not by social norms, not by baby boomers, Gen X, Gen Y, Gen Z, millennials. Changes all the time. You understand that, right? Culture changes all the time with people, with technology, with laws. But God's Word does not change. And that is what we see as the good of our neighbor. That is what we must define as good. What God says As good. Do you you realize, by the way, as a side note, I know I've mentioned this before. What a blessing it is that he gave us his word. He could have easily said, I'm not going to canonize the word. But there's one way and one person and specific confession that people need to make to come to heaven. But I'm not going to write it down. I'm not going to give it to them. Jesus still died for your sins, but you have no idea 2,000 years later. What a blessing that he made it so clear. Don't ignore it. I think we become so familiar with it. You ever been been so lost in something, right? A new job or or a new position. You're like, five people have now said, I need to fill out form 936, and I have no idea what that is. And a co-worker sees that distraught look on your face and, slowly passes you the little manual and you go, Oh, thank you so much. This is what the Bible is. And I think we get so familiar with it, we feel this guilt in not reading it, and we say, ah, oh, it's the Bible, I get it, yes. But we, what a privilege it is to have a guidebook. Directions. Remember MapQuest? Remember the Thomas Guide? You go back further, you remember those maps? Whoever folded those maps back properly? I mean, some stereotypes are stereotypes because they're true, right? AAA had vending machines. You just put in your card and put in the thing and the maps would come out. And as frustrating as it is now that we have technology, cell phones, could you imagine being lost on vacation and someone hands you a map or a Thomas guide? There's a reason those maps were so expensive in those gas stations in the middle of nowhere. They know you needed that thing. Some of you watch these movies where the guy's folding this thing on the hood of their car, and you're like, what is that thing? It's a map. You find alphabetical order of the street, and then there's a grid, and you find where you're going. And then, I know this is crazy. You actually memorize which turns to take and actually look at the street signs instead of turn right at the next street. But what a relief. What a relief. I mean, look, you want me to talk to people today? You ever have your battery die on your phone or the internet go out and you're like, I know I'm supposed to turn somewhere. Come on, Google. Come on, Siri, talk to me. And it pops back in. Oh, what a relief to have that guidebook. Don't ignore the guidebook, the map of your life. Stop looking elsewhere for what is good and profitable and look at the Scriptures. There are, quote-unquote, good people out there, right? Righteous people, nice people, kind people. They will lend a helping hand, lend a helping $100 bill if you need it, but they are not the embodiment of good. They don't define, I don't mean by their words, but by their very essence and character, of what is good. God does. He is the only one and He has spilled out His character in His word. It is your map. It is your guide. Don't see it as something, oh, I gotta read it. Oh, I didn't do my quiet times. What a joy. What a lifesaver. Seek good. Look to the Scriptures. It must be defined by God. It is objectively defined by God in His Word. So to put it another way, we must seek the well-being, the interest, and good of others according to God. The principle really comes down to the second greatest commandment, love others as you love yourself. Of course, that is impossible if you don't have the first commandment. You understand that. This doesn't just include our outward interactions with others, but includes a self-discipline and preparation in our heart of hearts. In other words, we need to prepare for this. We need to know how. We need to know what is good, and we need to know how, to encourage, to edify, to build up other people, to profit them according to God's word. So it's not just, oh, there's people here, gotta, what do I do? How do I be nice? What do I say? What, what was that prayer request they shared a small group? No, prepare ahead of time. This is hard work. The great passage on not forsaking fellowship, Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, tell us that. Right? We need to think deeply on how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. That takes time. That takes effort. That takes time to do it when you are alone behind closed doors. Again, you understand this from the workplace or other, other scenarios in your life. If you have a big meeting, if you want to make a good first impression, a job interview, what do you do when you're alone? You study. You prepare. You look over your resume. You memorize it. You stand in the mirror, stand in front of your parents or your friends, and you rehearse. Do it over and over again. You contact as many people as, as are willing to tell you, what are they going to ask? What do I need to say? You start Googling different things. Top question, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk ask in an interview, and you prepare those. And it's the same thing when we want to profit or edify other people and do what is good. And it's not that we are to disregard that which is good for us, again, in God's eyes. But our focus should be on others. This is not a foreign idea to us. Later, when we get to 1 Corinthians 13, he will use this same phrase in one of his 15 descriptions of true biblical love. Love does not seek its own. Turn with me to Romans 15. Romans 15, verses 1 through 3. Verses 1 through 3 of Romans chapter 15. Paul writes this, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. Each of us is to please his neighbor for his good, to his edification. Same terminology here. Verse 3, For even Christ did not please himself, But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. Again, Jesus Christ is our ultimate example. We follow his standard, his example. We follow him. We're Christians, Christ followers. Turn ahead to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8. Those of you who have been around knew I was going to go here. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 8 one of, if not the favorite passage of mine in the, in the Bible, Philippians 2, 3 through 8. And notice right off the bat, there is zero allowance. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves, not equals, more important. Yeah, but my boss says, I'm not the point. In your heart of hearts, in your mind, you consider them as more important than yourself. Verse 4, do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. I like this verse because it reminds us you are not to neglect your own self. You don't just let yourself starve to death, be all dirty and diseased. You still look out for your own interests. But the point here, of course, is also for the interests of others. In fact, I would argue that you look out for your own interests so that you can effectively look out for the interests of others. And then again, the example of Christ, verses 5 through 8. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus. who, Although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Again, we have Christ's example. He was God. He was equal with God. And yet what that word means in context is he didn't use that to his own advantage. You know who I am? Go ahead, touch me. I'll strike you down right now. Go ahead, nail me to cross. See what happens when the angels come. He didn't do that. He had the ability, he had the right, he had the privilege, but he did not do that. And yet we in our meager rights and privileges that come from a, frankly, self-assertion, we use those all the time, right? I have the right to be on time and not have traffic. I have the right to not have to be stuck behind this guy who's driving so slow. I have the right to be greeted. I have the right to be treated well. I have the right, I have the right, I have the right. And yet here is God who, again, in his very nature, you could say had the right to all things, did not use equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but used for his advantage, but humbled himself for our sake. You know what that means? Can I put that in other words? For our sake, for the good of his neighbor. For the profit of others, for the edification of others. He is the ultimate example. And so again, we see this all over, right? Galatians 6 2, bear one another's burdens. Don't be selfish, don't be lazy. It takes time, it takes effort. Bear others' burdens. Now, what you, we've already seen over the past few months is that much like our culture today, ancient Corinth had a predominant me first mentality. So what God is calling us to and what he has called us for goes against the grain of society that is sin nature back then and today. Today we must be careful because there are things that the unbelieving world, as I mentioned earlier, does that they deem good. And we can often feel that, oh, maybe that is good. We're tricked into thinking those things are good. But many of these things have no intrinsic spiritual value in the eyes of God. In fact, a lot of what is deemed good by society is actually depraved. It's actually evil. It's sinful. This is why it's so important to not only know God's will and character, but to be so in tune with it that even in gray areas, you behave in a way that pleases Him. It's easy to be confused because they use words that we use. Their different definitions are very different, but they use words that Scripture uses, such as love and protection and equality. All of those are in Scripture. There is no modern political movement that can even hold a candle to what the New Testament says about the equality of all people. And yet somehow people say, no, it's the Bible says that uh, we're not equal. The Bible promotes racism and sexism. They don't read the Bible or they read it to see what they, to say what they want it to say. Equality is all over the scriptures. I'll tell you where equality is not in some of these movements that claim equality. Look at the word equality, equal. Not you are lesser in society and now you need to be better. That's not equality. You need to get your due. You have lighter skin, so now you need to be lesser than all of us until the end of time. That's not equality. Equal pay is equal pay, not more pay because they used to get less pay. We need to understand what the Scriptures say. And we need to be careful that we don't buy into these social movements and say, uh, that's good. Yeah. Love is love. Huh. Yeah. But you've got to look at things from God's perspective. I, I don't think you should judge those who are homosexual, we need to love them. We're not to go beat them up. We're not to go throw rocks at them when they have their pride parade this month. But we still need to see sin as sin and see what God says is right or wrong. We cannot cave to culture and society and say what they say is good is good. Because that is going to, then that's going to drastically change every four years when there's a new president in the White House, even if they're from the same party, they're going to have differing definitions of what society should do because things change in culture, our culture especially. You know, our culture has often been criticized by both believers and believers as being too private. And increasingly so, COVID has done no favors to this. We're all stuck at home. Weather's nice now, I like to take walks. I'm not wearing a mask because I don't need to anymore. Other people are or are not. But they still cross the road when I get close to be respectful. That's the new, that's the, you know, that's, that's the new civility in our culture, right? I'm not saying any, there's anything wrong with that, but just trying to emphasize how private we are. I can't even say hi to my neighbors anymore because I walk by them. And it is what it is. But when we dig dig deeper outside of government regulations and and diseases, one of the reasons we're so private is because we're selfish. Having friends takes effort. It's not easy. If being a friend is easy to you, that probably explains why right now you're not good friends with the people you were friends with two years ago. Because once it becomes hard, you find someone else. This is part of the reason the divorce rate is so high. Because people don't take the effort to love, to work out their marriage. I fell in love, and I fell out of love, and that's that. And so, sweetie, it's not your fault, but mommy and daddy just don't love each other anymore, and that's just what happens. We don't want to make the effort. It's hard to love. It's it's hard to be a good biblical friend it's even harder when you truly want to love in a biblical way. It takes a lot of sacrifice of everything. Your time, your energy, your sleep, your money, your patience, everything. See, we're we're not avoiding when we're selfish relationships per se. We like relationships. We're avoiding the work, the sacrifice, the discomfort that those relationships require. We're avoiding people disagreeing with us, calling us out on things, not showing up when we're supposed to have an appointment. We're avoiding always checking in on people and they never check in on us. We're avoiding driving all around the greater Bay Area delivering meals and then when you're sick or when you're on maternity leave, no one gives you even a crumb. Love is hard work. And I don't mean to sound negative or fatalistic, but the reality is the more you master loving biblically, the less you're going to get in return because the more you serve God the way you're supposed to, there's no way anyone can repay you the way you're giving. But if you do it right for God's glory and the building up of others, you won't even notice. You won't even care because you're not giving to get, you're giving to glorify. You're giving to give. And God will give you. He will give you joy. He will give you spiritual growth. He will give you a deeper and broader understanding of sacrificial love. We need to be careful that we don't just avoid relationships. We talked about this in men's group last Thursday. Time about really digging in To learn what people's issues are so that we can help them biblically. And I asked the men, what what are the challenges we face personally and as a church? What do Christians, what are the challenges Christians face in not doing this? Why don't we do this more? And the repeated pattern was selfishness, lazy. A few minutes later, you know, we're lazy, we're selfish. A few minutes later, different questions, someone else, you know, it's because we're selfish, we tend to be lazy. If we know we don't do it because we're selfish and lazy, we, we're very clear of, of the kind of work that this takes. But it is good work. It's good stuff. It's worth it. You know, we, we often excuse this by saying, I'm fine, I'm an introvert, I'm fine without social interactions. Did you catch that? I'm fine not interacting with others. But are the people that you would otherwise interact with, are they fine? That's a question you should be asking. And not just are they surviving, are they existing, but are they growing? You believe in God's sovereignty, and so your neighbor is your neighbor because God put you there in this church, in your workplace, in that marriage, as that child's parent, as that parent's child, whatever it may be. Paul isn't asking what you're fine with. He's asking what others are fine with and for you to meet those needs. We need to focus on other people and seek their good. Well, we'll continue next week as Paul gives it, gets into practical examples of how this plays out in the Corinthians' lives of eating Temple meet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the clarity of your example and your Son, Jesus Christ, of humility and seeking the welfare and good of others. Help us to be the same. Help us to be willing to do that. Help us to go back to those relationships that we've purposely neglected because we didn't want to get involved. It was too much for us. Help us to get over ourselves. Help us to serve. Help us to know your word and be so in tune with your will and character that we know what is good and profitable and edifying and to do that for others. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
2: This has been Grace to the Bay with Dr. Roger Chen. For the next part in this series, join us next week at this same time. Grace to the Bay is the radio ministry of Grace Church of the Bay Area, practicing and proclaiming the purity of biblical truth. You are invited to join them for worship services in San Mateo, Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit gracebayarea.org for service times, directions, live streamed services, listen to archived sermons, or to make a tax-deductible donation to help keep Grace to the Bay on the air so that we can continue to share Pastor Roger's teaching with you each week. Again, that's gracebayarea.org.